Welcome to Too Much Not Enough, a podcast about the obsessions of two very intense people. I'm Emma Winston. And I'm Darius Kazemi. And today we're going to talk to you about Fourier transforms for the second time because uh, we tried recording this a couple weeks ago and my computer messed up and gave me a partial recording. It would have been the experimental edition. Of too much not enough. I mean, I still have the files. We could just release a choppy version. We could version. make sound art out of it. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. We could do Fourier transforms on it. Ooh. And do something with the result. Yeah, because you're extremely clear on what a Fourier transform is now that extremely we've, we've clear. had this discussion yeah, especially, once. Especially once. after having already talked about them for nearly an hour. <laughs> I definitely understand what they are now. Yeah. But for the benefit of anyone listening. For sure was sarcasm. This is the least I've ever understood any topic that we've ever done <laughs> on this podcast. So we're talking about Fourier transforms. This is a me topic, a Darius topic. I mean, it would be worrying if it was mine. And I was <laughs> like, I don't know what this is, but I sure know that I love it. <laughs> anyway. Um, so, so yeah, I'm going to start with like the history of Fourier transforms. They were developed by like a whole succession of mathematicians sort of leading up to this guy Fourier, who in the first half of the 1800s kind of formalized what these transforms are. So, Fourier-malized. Oh, yeah. He oh. formalized them. That's the kind of thing, if I said it on text, you'd say, wow, in response, <laughs> and then rapidly move on. Yes. <clears throat> As I was saying... Wow. <laughs> Fourier developed these things because he was trying to model heat transfer in materials, which is not the context in which I and most people use Fourier transforms, which is audio, like audio engineering and audio analysis is how most people use Fourier transforms in like day to day. You know, the 0.0001% of the population who knows what a Fourier transform is, probably 80% of those people use it in an audio context. Audio being nature's heat transfer. Exactly. That's like a brief acknowledgement of the history. I just want to kind of fly past all that and uh, talk a little bit about what a Fourier transform is. And maybe this time I will understand it. Right. So maybe. in the in the most abstract and unhelpful sense, it is a math thing. Excuse me, a math thing. Uh, thank you. That is extremely abstract and unhelpful. Yeah, but at least you know it's not like a literary <laughs> device. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I guess. So. Oh, can I explain what I think it is? Oh, please. Please okay, do. So. Right. My understanding of what a Fourier transform is, is it's a math thing which you apply to a thing like a signal that has a frequency of some kind, for instance, audio, and you break it down into its constituent frequencies. That's actually very correct. Hell yeah. Yeah. No, that, that was a really good like definition of what a Fourier transform is. So when Emma mentioned frequencies, I just guess for the edification of our listeners who might not be familiar with what frequencies are in this context, a frequency is a measure of essentially how fast something oscillates or vibrates. Which so, is kind of also like the, like the lay meaning of frequency. It's uh, like how often 
it goes up and down. That's true. How often how something frequently. happens. Yeah, or how, how often something happens, right? So like the frequency yeah. of this podcast might be weekly if we're doing our job correctly. <laughs> <laughs> so just like the lay definition of frequency is how often something happens, uh, the more precise like physics or math definition of frequency is how it's exactly how often exactly how happens. often something repeats in a like a mathematically definable sense mm-hmm. so for example um if someone plays a above middle c on an oboe which is how you like tune an orchestra that causes air molecules to vibrate at what you would measure on a device as 440 hertz except that they don't all vibrate at 440 hertz. Most of the air is vibrating at 440 hertz. That's why... That and that's it, why we hear it as that note. Yeah, that's why it's that note. That's why it's middle uh, A above middle C. That's why you tune everything to that note. So, And what that means, 440 hertz, a hertz is one cycle per second. So 440 hertz means that the air molecules go back and forth 440 times in one second between their two extremes, which is very fast, yeah. Which I guess is why you don't hear them going back and forth. You just hear a tone. A tone, exactly, yeah. If you've ever, like, looked very closely at, like, a pair of large um, speakers uh, and you look at the little cone, the paper cone in the speakers, you'll see them kind of moving back and forth at, like, a very rapidly vibrating rate. Um, And that is the speaker's kind of producing those frequencies. The point is that sound is vibration and frequency measures vibration so we can measure sound as frequencies. Which is why if you stand in front of like a big bass speaker, you can feel it in your organs, right? Yeah, because it's literally it's like also moving you around. your organs. Yep, yep. And making, yeah, and making you poop if you do the right frequencies. The brown noise. <laughs> Apparently, there is no frequency that makes people poop. No, there isn't. That's an urban legend. Which is really disappointing. It's an I mean, urban it makes legend. sense, I guess, because like... I mean, it would be different for every person, right? Well, and also, like, if if you poop that easily, then you could just, like, <laughs> poke someone in the right place and they would poop, and that doesn't happen. Like, it's a whole process. Yeah, exactly. So, so you know... peristalsis, that is actually what it is. It's yeah. what makes you poop. Good old pooping. Yep, everybody loved to poop. Yep. Darius loved to poop, because Amy, as we call you. That's true. That is, that is what they call I might change your name me. and signal to that. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> anyway, back to, back to math and <laughs> physics and, you know, that sort of thing. So basically, uh, Fourier's insight was that any signal consists of frequencies and you and it is possible to break down a signal into its constituent frequencies and we haven't really defined what signal uh, means. okay I'm, so i'm thinking of it as like a sound but i assume it can mean other things as well yes a signal can mean other things as well for example any information that can be expressed as a function uh, so a function. Oh God! <laughs> yeah, yeah. So okay, we're going back to the. Yeah. So so a function is like um, if you if you again if you sort of go back to your high school mathematics, a function is those things that you use to draw on the sort of Cartesian plane where there's an x axis going left right and a y axis going up down, and it is mm-hmm. a way of plotting coordinates on a piece of paper. So uh, one one would be a one on the x, so you go over one unit on the x axis, oh. and a one, and then up one on like the y axis, like a graph. Yes. 
So functions oh. are graphs. Like functions are what oh. we learn as graphs. Although math- mathematicians don't call them graphs because graph has a different meaning in mathematics. Uh, oh. it, it's, it's sort of a weird history of mathematical pedagogy that, that we call them graphs in high school. Oh, I see. Yep. So basically anything that you can represent by like taking a pen and putting it on a piece of paper and dragging it to the right and never letting up on the pen, anything you could draw that way uh, is a function. <laughs> anything. Yeah. <laughs> Challenge accepted. <laughs> Wait. Oh, no. Okay. Um, oh, you have to be moving from left to right. Yeah, exactly. I was just imagining yeah, you, yeah, you myself have to, like you know, you can't, a dick you, you on actually, a wall. Yeah, you actually can't do a dick yeah. as a function. I would have to yeah. go there. That's nope. disappointing. Yeah, okay. that's, that is disappointing, and I'm very sorry. But uh, the important thing is the, <sighs> the end result can't be a dick because a function okay. can't be a dick because you can't draw a dick just moving left okay. to right. So Fourier's insight was that any function can be expressed as a sum of sine waves. Now a sine wave is a mathematical, it's like sine is like a trigonometric function. And if you remember from your mathematics class, when you graph a trigonometric function, it looks like a wavy up and down line. You can add up a bunch of wavy up and down lines of varying frequencies to approximate essentially anything you can draw as a function. As long as you add up exactly the right sine waves at exactly the right frequencies and exactly the right, you know, um, uh, uh, size. Uh, if you, if you magically figured out what all those things were and you added up a huge, huge number of them, you could approximate anything that you can draw with your pen going left to right on the paper without letting up or going back on it. Even if it's like super complex Even, and yes. appears to be completely irregular. Yeah, exactly. And so like when you play A above middle C on an oboe, mm-hmm. the reason it sounds like an oboe as well as being A above middle C is because there's air molecules vibrating at frequencies that aren't 440 hertz. That is exactly correct. And they get correct. stacked up on top of the mm-hmm. 440 hertz. Yep. And the combination of them sounds like an oboe. If you record it, it looks super complicated, but then you can break it down into individual frequencies and exactly. do and stuff to them. Yeah, and so what you'll see if you break it down into individual frequencies is you'll see that the oboe's main most powerful frequency is at 440 hertz, which is why we perceive it as A above middle C. And then there are a bunch of less powerful frequencies or sine waves that are, they're there, they're present, but they're less powerful, but they're what give it the timbre of an oboe. Oboeness of the oboe. If you did the same and you played A above middle C on like a, on like a wine glass, like a singing wine glass, it would be much closer to just a pure tone. I mean, when we say pure tone... Are we talking about a sine wave? Yes, I am. That is correct. That is what I mean by pure Which tone is, is a sine wave. Yes. If you draw a sine wave, it looks like a perfect wiggly line where all the wiggles are the same distance apart. Correct. Yes. Yeah. That's one of the closer natural sounds you can get to that is like a, is like a singing wine glass type situation or a vibrating singing saw comes pretty close oh, yeah. as well. I mean, because you can actually physically look at the saw mm. and see that it is vibrating in what looks like mm. a sine wave pattern. Wait, can you? 
Yeah, yeah. If you if you uh, if you capture it with like a high enough frequency oh, camera. Oh, I see. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So the the main frequency of an oboe at at a four forty is four forty. That's the, the that's the strongest sine wave in that mm-hmm. bundle of sine waves. And the then there's fundamental a, frequency. Yes, exactly. It is that. Look we at call me knowing the, things. Yeah, you do know things. That is because I did a course on acoustics mm-hmm. when I was at university. Yeah, and if but we, it contained very little maths. If you had a sound where the fundamental frequencies were both equally 220 hertz and 440 hertz, that would be A above middle C and A below middle C, and it would sound like, well, like close. a- Well, close to- Not yeah, exactly. Close, yes. Close I'm enough. not doing the exact math in my head, but but close enough. That, and that would sound to us like a, you know, like a power chord type thing or something. It would just, it would come across as- a power as, chord fifth apart? Uh, power chords are fifths. That's true. Yeah, all right. You're Sorry. the musician. No, no, you're the musician. <laughs> um, uh, but, I just like being able to correct you on things thank you. I very rarely get to do. Yeah. <laughs> but it would definitely sound like a powerful note backed up by mm. another note exactly yeah. one octave underneath it. You would have two it. notes, essentially. Yeah, it would sound like a chord. Note. It would sound like if a chord. If you have, if, the, if the, the, the strongest, if there are two frequencies that are equally the strongest frequency, then you have a chord. That's correct, yes. Rather than a single note. Yeah. And what's cool about Fourier transforms is that it lets us do really awesome things with audio production uh, from my perspective. There are other applications too, which I might get into, but I care about audio, you care about audio, so we're gonna talk about audio. So mathematically, if I take that oboe, I record it to my laptop, I can run the algorithm using software that is a Fourier transform that was developed by this Fourier guy and other mathematicians. And other mathematicians passed him too because it had to be, you know, um, adapted for computers and that sort of thing. But it's essentially the same algorithm. What it will give me, the computer will give me, is a, a different graph. So it takes the graph that's just those complex wavy lines that you might, that you'll see if you record directly into an, like, you know, Audacity or some other recording software. Uh, that you might see. And then and then what it'll give me is a graph of all the frequencies. So I'll see a very high spike at 440 and then lower spikes at all the other frequencies that are in that sound. Because I, yeah, I didn't realize until we were talking about this last time that, or I, I guess I kind of did realize, but I never thought about the fact that you can't see what the pitch of something is in something like Audacity. Um, yeah, not... Not in the standard view, but if I go to like the menu and I say do a 4A analysis, then I do see it. So like on your stereo or your MP3 player or whatever, like when you see that little EQ graph, like the little the, those little lines that bounce up and down when you play, sometimes there's visualizers on different MP3 players or that sort of thing. On the left, that's the low frequencies. On the right, that's the high frequencies. And, mm-hmm. uh, and so like if you had an MP3 and you were looking at one of those those graphs and you and someone took their finger and like went from the low end of the piano all the way up to the high end of the piano just do 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 you would see a line move from left to right on mm-hmm. that little EQ visualizer thing that thing you're looking at right there is a Fourier transform it is the output of a Fourier transform yeah. because it is showing you the frequencies left to right Mm-hmm. From zero to you know twenty thousand kilohertz or whatever the 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 top of your particular visualizer is. Mm. 
And mathematically what's happening is it's turning it from, okay, the air molecule is here, now the air molecule is here, you know, 0.001 seconds later, mm -hmm. now the air molecule is here, 0.001 seconds later. It's turning it from that kind of representation into this sum of sine waves. Every mm -hmm. sine wave has its own constituent frequency, including that fundamental frequency, in our case 440 for the oboe. So what I could do now that I have a big mathematical function that is basically sine of 440, you know, a, a sine wave at 440 plus a bunch of other sine waves that are much less loud at other frequencies. Because this is all in a formula, all I have to do to subtract the sine wave out is just say, okay, minus sine at 440. I can just remove that term from the equation, and that's called a filter. And, oh, right. And now all we're left with is like the, the non-fundamental frequencies of the oboe. And it'll sound really weird and muffled. It'll probably sound a little bit like the room tone of the room that the thing was recorded in. Mm -hmm. And it'll sound weird, but like that's a weird, it's like a, that's an example of a filter. Mm -hmm. uh, so like when, when we record this podcast, uh, one thing that I do after recording is I run a special filter that gets rid of really those p those p sounds p p p. Those tend to have a Wait, lot. Wait, do you do that with a filter? Yeah, I do that with a filter. Not with a compressor. Not with a compressor. First, I filter, oh, then I interesting. compress. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I would do that with just a compressor. Anyway, no yeah, one needs yeah. to know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But anyway, um, so what I do is I run a filter and I say remove all frequencies below so, uh, close to a hundred hertz. And the reason oh, okay. I okay, I do that. Yeah, I yeah. do that anyway. Yeah, yeah. Roll off everything below 100 because you can't really hear. Right, exactly. The human voice can't, yeah. and also the human voice can't really create sounds below 100 hertz. So mm -hmm. by definition, anything below 100 hertz is like some kind of extra noise, like me bumping into the microphone or mm -hmm. whatever. So, um, but what? Which, what uh, if you if you bumped into the microphone really hard, then it might it might 100 hertz you. Oh, that oh, hurts. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Um, so anyway, <laughs> um, so when I run this filter to get rid of those popping sounds, uh, what it's doing is it's taking all of our information, it's putting it in that frequency representation, and then it's removing all the sine waves that it can find that are less than 100 hertz. Mm -hmm. And then it's transforming it back into the time representation, which is the, the representation of the molecules going back and forth. Mm -hmm. Oh, we never explained, like, we keep saying things like the, the signal that is, like, strongest or loudest. Mm -hmm. And I, when we recorded this the first time, you explained the difference between... Oh, yeah. Like... I mean, I can quickly explain what that is. So it made a lot of sense yeah. to me. So, so technically... So technically, any individual wave so pure a pure sine tone has a frequency it also has what is technically referred to as an amplitude amplitude is also what we would call like loudness or volume when we're talking about sound mm -hmm. and that's basically just the distance between the furthest points that the molecules vibrate so if the molecules Which is like how far the molecules are vibrating yes exactly like so yeah which frequency how far, is how but not often how, they go back and forth that is and correct amplitude is the distance that they go yeah how far they travel exactly in that time yeah which makes sense because if you imagine um plucking a rubber band or a guitar string if you pull back further 
on the string, then it's going to vibrate maybe you know two <clears throat> whole inches. But if you pull back a little bit, then it's only going to vibrate like a like a quarter of an inch. And the further you pull back, the louder it gets. Right. Mm-hmm. So so that distance is what we perceive as loudness, but it doesn't affect the frequency. If you pull on an E string, doesn't matter how hard you pull, mo- it's more or less going to have the same Kind of weird, actually, now I think about it. It is a little weird. It's, it's really cool. weird. Yeah, but it's pretty cool, It though. is cool. But yeah. how the hell did that happen? I don't know, but it's one of the reasons why we have music, so hooray. Make you think. It does make you think. So when I talk about loudness or amplitude, that's what I mean, is that mm-hmm. is that distance. On a graph... It would be the total amount of like up and down movement, essentially. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we've talked about like what it is. I want to talk about why I think it's cool. I did yeah. mention already that like we can do filters with Fourier transforms, mm-hmm. which is great. Um, there are also other domains where you can apply Fourier transforms. Um, so, so remember how we talked about the oboe and how um, that fundamental frequency tells you the note, but all the other frequencies are what tells you that it's an oboe. If you looked at a different instrument playing A above middle C, it would also have a spike at 440, but it would have a different sort of profile amongst all the rest of the frequencies. Mm -hmm. So we can actually like use a computer to analyze a sound, and in theory, we could have it tell us whether it's an oboe or a trumpet or some other instrument as long as you have told the computer what to expect Mm -hmm. from that sort of instrument. Now, one of the cool things about this is that signals aren't, and functions and these things that that we're talking about, aren't just present in audio. Audio is one of the most sort of natural and um, intuitive ways of understanding signal, but signal Mm -hmm. exists in things, anything with information, including a two-dimensional image, for example. So one thing that you can do yeah, I know you're you're giving no, me the, the podcast. Just, the listeners can't see did. this, but we're getting a big. I'm getting a big uh, I, eyebrow raise from Emma. I did a, a, a single eyebrow raise and exactly. a confusing look. Exactly, confused look. and I don't want to go into too much about. I how, want you to. Uh, all right, I haven't prepped <laughs> for this. Basically, what you can do is so if you imagine like a digital image, a PNG file. Or whatever, mm-hmm. right? Like, like intuitively, you understand that it's basically storing information that says, okay, there's a pixel of this color here and a pixel mm-hmm. of this color here, et cetera, et cetera, a million times until you yeah. have a full image, right? A thing that you can do is convert each of those pixels to a numerical value mm-hmm. and then cycle through each one of those pixels one by one by one. And now you have a function. You have uh, a a position and a number, a position and a number, mm-hmm. a position and a number. That's a function, which means you can apply a Fourier transform to it. Oh. Um, now, it doesn't work exactly like this. There's actually like two-dimensional matrices involved and things like that. Mm-hmm. But that's like the simplified version of what happens when we do image processing with what's called a two-dimensional Fourier transform. So actually what we do it was we, oh. do, we put these things into a matrix, which is, mm-hmm. actu- which is a two-dimensional mathematical construct, and then run a Fourier transform on that. And it's more abstract and it's weirder, oh. and I don't even have a lot of intuition around how this works, but a lot of early machine vision used Fourier transforms just like you could analyze the component frequencies mm-hmm. and tell if it's an oboe or a trumpet you can analyze component frequencies and kind of tell if it's like a human face or a landscape picture 
or other things like that. So mm-hmm. early machine vision used Fourier transforms, two-dimensional Fourier transforms to classify images, which I think is pretty cool too. That is cool. Yeah. And there's a whole bunch of other domains. I mean, essentially anything that you can convert to numbers on a graph, you can apply a Fourier transform to, and there may or may not Mm -hmm. be some utility to that. A lot of astronomers Mm -hmm. use it to find patterns in the cosmos, essentially. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can imagine like the SETI program, the search for extraterrestrial intelligence. There's a lot of foray transforms being run on radio signals that they're trying to get in order to determine if there's actual information in the signal or if it's mm-hmm. just noise. Because like, if you look at a, the sort of back and forth movement, it's hard to tell that there's like a coherent piece of information in there, but once you put it mm-hmm. through a Fourier transform, you can go, oh, there's a component, you know, it's a, there's a very strong signal at, you know, in the case of an oboe playing A above middle C, 440 hertz, or in the case of a radio signal from a distant star, it would be somewhere in like the, the microwave spectrum or something. Mm-hmm. So anyway, Fourier transforms are cool. I really like them. I like that they enable us to do lots of cool things. And it is just a thing that I like to use to analyze stuff all the you time. You told me that you did them in your head or something when you were cleaning up audio last time and i thought it was wild i mean i mean i have intuition around fourier transforms so like when i am recording stuff i know how to set my filters because i'm sort of keeping a running transform in my head but it's not mathematical it's just purely intuitive so like so like if you um but if you have perfect pitch for example, you can you mm. can listen to a note and you can know if that's you know if it's a little flat or a little sharp, and you can certainly tell me if it's an A above middle C or a you know an E above middle C, if you have perfect pitch. If you're one of those people who does, I have fake perfect pitch. Right. If if I sing if I sing something, I can identify the pitch from feel. Yeah, just like you have but, fake perfect pitch, I yeah. have fake Fourier transforms in my head. Cool. Yeah. Because, like, if I, yeah, if I'm cleaning up audio, I will take an EQ, and if I can hear something in the sound that I don't like, I'll drag it up and down until I figure out which thing it is. Yeah, a lot of it's trial and but, error, and yeah. I guess for me, it's just less trial and error because mm-hmm. I have a more accurate sense of where the, where the frequencies mm-hmm. are. So, anyway, there's all sorts of other cool things about 4A transforms. I will, we will include these in the show notes. There's a bunch of very... I know what they are. <laughs> Well, I mean, a lot of it's the stuff that I sent you already, which was which, which I is didn't really, really understand. no, it's really unhelpful. A lot of the teaching around Fourier transforms is unhelpful. One time, I taught a group of like early high school students about Fourier transforms, doing like a workshop with them and some graphing calculators. It was basically what I hoped that. Uh, I wish that I had had that instruction when I was in high school mm-hmm. uh, because I went to a weird high school where I did a lot of electrical and audio engineering stuff. So I like I heard in high school, I heard about 4A transforms and I knew sort of what they were, but I didn't, it wasn't until university that, and I took, and I got an electrical engineering degree that I like formally fully understood these things. Thank you so much for listening to us talk about nature's graphic equalizer. This has been Too Much Not Enough. I'm Darius Kazemi, a.k.a. friend.camp slash at Darius or tinysubversions.com. I'm Emma Winston. You can find me on Mastodon at friend.camp forward slash at deerful. That's deer like the animal, F-U-L. 
or at dear underscore full on Twitter or at emmawinston.me. 